Last time, I remembered it like after you already said, "Welcome, to Games in That Podcast, the show." And no, it was in the it was in the intro. Oh, or did you edit that? That's because I went through and I, <laughs> I I pulled it from the the stream. Ah, uh, smart creative editing. And welcome, ooh, one and all, to the Games in That Podcast, the show where we hang up our controllers. In favor of pens and paper, I'm Andrew Fiak. And I'm Brandon Carnian. And welcome, everybody. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing well. How about you, Andrew? Um, just peachy. Oh, Getting just... uh shaking off a little rust from that Destiny 2 grind. That uh that new Destiny Shadow Keep DLC that dropped oh, the year three expansion. Can't wait. can't wait. Moon's haunted, y'all. Moon's haunted. Gotta be careful. <laughs> Yeah, Brandon and I wanted to talk about um, Shadowkeep this week, but uh, I don't think it's fair to give a full overview of Destiny with just a day of play, um, since there's so much that happens throughout the course of the week, and uh, you once you get through the story and you start getting into what the new endgame cycle is, I think it'd be better suited for next week or maybe even the following week. So what we chose to do instead is change things up and do... It's not necessarily a, a Nat episode, but it is still a games-focused episode. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do some tabletop time, and we're going to talk about uh, a little something that Brandon and I do on the side that I think we've mentioned on the show before, but we're going to talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, yeah. Something different. Yeah, something different. Um, so kind of similar to what we did last week, I think Brian and I are just going to kind of go back and forth and uh, just chat about what our recent experiences have been with Dungeons and Dragons, specifically uh, the campaign that we've been doing and are currently still on hiatus with. Um, technically still playing, even though we have technically played still playing since uh, how long is a hiatus? When do you call it a hiatus? <laughs> I say a week is uh, off. Uh, more than a couple weeks is a break, and then I think anything over a month or two is hiatus. We're firmly in hiatus. Firmly in hiatus. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so this is a campaign which I'll let Brandon. I'll let you introduce it. Brandon is the dungeon master for this campaign. That, uh, this go round. Typically, the guy that I've been playing with as my dungeon master has been Bob Barton. Yep, Bob, who was a guest on the show last yep. season. Um, and when we talked about Resident Evil 2, if you haven't checked out that episode, you can catch it on Facebook. Um, and you can also catch it on, I don't think that one's on Twitch, actually, or that one's on iTunes, actually. It should, um, I think that was pre, that predates iTunes, so you'd have yeah, to go on Facebook. Yeah, that predates iTunes, so yeah, it's you'd have to go to Facebook. from page. the vault. Yeah, that's an oldie, an oldie but a goodie. That was our yeah. first guest. Um, but yeah, Brandon, so why don't you give us just a quick rundown of, uh, the can introduce the campaign to people give us the elevator pitch uh what is it that we were experiencing so the elevator pitch is that the players are they're they're basically all working for this company the um what's it called the haft and staff so like swords and sorcerer kind of right. deal um they all have a connection to 
the proprietor of this business in some way, and that was kind of like how we had the characters introduce themselves by um, sort of coming up with on the fly, like how they knew uh, this character Rufus Doubletree, who is the the owner um, of that. It's basically an adventuring company, and he tells them that he's got word from some of his contacts that there is this uh, previously not really unavailable or uninhabited but like an ancient island that uh, people weren't able to get to or they could travel to it but they couldn't really stay along because there was all all some sort of like magical cataclysm that happened there Mm -hmm. and that the area has recently cleared up within the last like decade or so and um there's some some factions that have kind of set up shop in this land, and they're kind of going there to set up their own shop um, as an adventuring company there because there's a great need for adventurers in this land um, just because of all these magical anomalies that have sort of dropped things into the land and um, just, you know, monsters to be destroyed and crypts to be raided, that sort of thing. Um, one of the big overlying themes is that these factions that are already there and existing... Um, they have like a vested interest in the cause of that cataclysm that happened hundreds of years ago. So part of their goal of the player characters uh, as they progress is to figure out what was this cataclysm and um, what connections, if any, do these factions have with that cataclysm and potentially how could they prevent something else terrible from happening on this uh, continent that could then spread over to the Sword Coast. So it's a homebrew campaign, homebrew map. Um, I printed out like a giant copy of it uh, on our large format printer that I have access to, and I don't know. I think it's pretty sweet. What, what do you think? You're, you're a player, so you have a better, or at least a different perspective. Well, I'm new to the Dungeons and Dragons scene, so maybe it's worth mentioning for those who are listening and have never played Dungeons and Dragons, or maybe they have no idea what Dungeons and Dragons is. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is a it's a tabletop game that you play amongst a group of people, typically live, preferably live, um, where there's one person in this scenario. It's Brandon, who is the dungeon master, and he is the god of his own world. Or sometimes it's something that's pulled from manuals or it's pre-written stuff um dungeons and dragons has their own company that puts out these editions of books that have basically the world set for you and then it's up to brandon to come up with a story that intertwines those things and takes us on what end up would end up being an adventure um there's no rules outside of that brandon can do whatever he wants he can um as long as the laws of uh, random numbers are in his favor or in our favor. Um, that's just kind of how things unfold. And I think what's really interesting about Dungeons and Dragons, unlike any other tabletop game, is that Brandon and um, the Dungeon Master, Brandon in this case, or just the rules in general of the world, um, not everything is prepared ahead of time, but there's always an answer to something that can happen on the fly. Yeah, because a Brandon huge, can't. Huge element of improvisation. Huge. I don't think you or anybody could ever prepare for every single case scenario that could possibly happen because one day our group could just decide to go rogue and just start killing a bunch of people murder um, murder yeah <laughs> there we could we could go a completely different path from the critical path you want us to be on and really that's when it tests your skills to be able to how do i get people back onto the critical path or how do i get right. them thinking 
critical path without necessarily telling them verbatim what they need to be doing, but then setting it up in the world organically right. and making it feel another like another challenge with that is sometimes uh, when the players do leave that critical path or the intended path, um, a lot of times that's indicative of something that they might want to do that the DM is not providing for them. So then you kind of have to on the fly figure out, okay, well, this is obviously what they want to do. How can I bring that into what I already have planned and, uh, you know, give them essentially you know, what they want to do so that it's still fun for them, but still kind of uh, moves us towards our final goal of whatever the game is. Right. Or the story and then I, say. yeah. And then I, um, or our group as the characters of this world who are basically the main protagonists living in Brandon's world. Um, it is our duty to know our class, our race, uh, everything about us, how tall we are, how short we are, what our language is, what do we speak, what do we sound like, how do we act, what's our te- what are our tendencies, um, what kind of special abilities do I have, how can I utilize those to get us out of any kind of predicaments, how can we use them to our advantage so that we get the upper hand on things. Yeah, um, lots of and it's, outside of the box creative thinking. Yeah, it's, it's one of those games that really encourages your thinking so it doesn't necessarily have to be you stumble across these moblins you kill these moblins you move forward you then kill harder moblins etc etc whereas in Dungeons and Dragons it could be like well let's just walk around that trail and go the opposite way and it's like okay you do that let's try to smooth talk them or bribe them with food it's almost like those old um, text adventures where it's basically like hey this is where you are this is person what do you do? And it's like, well, I want to look at this. And it's like, you look at that. Here's what you see. It's like, I want to try to do this. Well, you can't do that. What about if it did it this way? That works. Yeah. Uh, I think that's also kind of leading into this. It's probably a good spot to discuss our actual like physical setup uh, when we play. Sure. uh, Discuss how we constructed the table. (laughs) Yeah. So what, so what we did was um, we typically play at our buddy's Bob's house. Um, and what we did was we set up a table um, that is a mix, a mishmash of an older wooden. But it's two tables. But when you nail things together, does it's it become one, one table? <laughs> <laughs> so we took an old card playing table that is uh, what it's is a, it? It's a hexagon. Yeah, it's an octagon. Yeah. Um, and then we nailed that into like the, the the one side of a regular just wooden dining table. Yeah. So there's like and a then, flat spot that's off from like the main, like the playing card surface. That's probably, right. I would say like three and a half feet deep or so that the mm-hmm. DM sits basically like at the head of the table with their screen. So they can't like the, not, we're not, yeah. for those of you that aren't familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, when we say screen, we're not talking about like a, a monitor though. We do have those. Um, it's basically just like a blocker, a partition between the players and the DM. So whenever the DMs rolling dice or going through notes, like nobody accidentally sees something that they shouldn't see. Right. Um, it's kind of like when you were taking tests in school and yeah. your teacher didn't want you looking yep. at other people. They used to put those little cardboard yep. foldouts in front of you. It's <laughs> yep. exactly what it is. But this one's actually a nice wooden one that uh, old fan of the show Levi made for yeah. Bob. That's actually a very nice wood stained uh, engraved Dungeons and Dragons specific screen for that purpose. Yeah. Um, and then at the head of the table, obviously the DM on that side, Bob has an old um, barber <laughs> chair from the early 20s, I want to say. Yeah, it's, it's uh, that, That's not an exaggeration. Um, it, I think they rent their house and it was one of the 
effects that was in their basement from previous ownership. Um, and we actually use it as our dungeon master chair. So when you're sitting in that chair, everybody has to listen and beckon to your every whim. It's like, it's like a throne. It's really, that's what we were going for. It's very cool. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have some compute. We have a computer monitor that's dedicated to the players Mm -hmm. while the DM has a, a three monitor set up so that they can, do what they need to do yeah, laptop, a laptop alongside two auxiliary monitors and then on mm-hmm. so on my side i have a little rolling tray for my dice and then i have my two monitors where i'll have like my notes pulled up on one monitor um i'll have like my uh external hard drive files pulled up on the other one so i can kind of send it out to the players and then on the, the main monitor we use uh it's a online kind of program called roll 20 um basically shows uh, allows you to show overhead maps and then you make little tokens for the uh, characters and your enemies and stuff so that um, you can describe rooms or in, in our case, we kind of show things a little more visually. Um, right. I like to put like little visual clues for like hidden areas. So you kind of have to analyze what's on the screen. Um, it's also really useful for the combat scenarios. So you can see where enemies are at and kind of call your shots a little bit more easily and you can use it to maneuver better than, uh, you know, say theater of the mind, which is what I think a lot of players will tend to do. Yep. Um, which there's nothing wrong with that. And that's how we um, started before you uh, joined the group. And we tried some other things and we found that roll 20 ultimately was very, um, very much more engaging and it kind of just facilitated a faster uh, pace of gameplay, which is nice because you can get through more content. Right. Yeah. And speaking of gameplay uh, and pace of play, play sessions can range anywhere from three to four hours. I would say give or take yeah. is what we typically strive for um they're long and sometimes they're arduous and sometimes they require a lot of critical thinking and sometimes it's just straight up role-playing and by Mm -hmm. role-playing i mean sometimes you're just at an inn or you're at a bar or you're just walking around a town and you're just talking to people and sometimes those are the best sessions to have you don't even need to have any action there doesn't always need to be killing there doesn't always need to be loot and treasure involved sometimes we can just sit there and have a whole night where we're just talking and world building. And it's some of the most fun I've had playing tabletop games. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what I thought would be fun for Brandon and I to do is Brandon being the DM in this campaign. And then myself being a character in this world, um, which is only my third character to date, actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. I would say seriously ish. Yeah. Uh, we thought it'd be cool to just have some back and forth where I'm asking Brandon questions and he's asking me questions um, about the campaign that we're playing or about what our inspirations were for what we did, etc. cetera. Um, so I wanted to actually start off in Brandon. Yeah. If you wouldn't mind, um, I asked you to give the elevator pitch and I think you, earlier on in the show, you gave um, a pretty decent rundown of what we're doing. I wanted to know if you're okay with, saying it since there's a lot of things that are still kind of on the table um so i mean indulge me as much as you wish but i would love to know uh what were some of the primary influences for your campaign um i would say the the biggest one we've we've kind of talked about this i think you were the first one to pick up on it when we were playing was oh yeah um, yeah so let me backtrack a bit so um when we started playing Dungeons and Dragons, um, at one point I was looking into other kind of tabletop systems and there was a fallout, uh, tabletop RPG with, you know, D twenties and all that stuff that, uh, it got canceled once Bethesda got the rights to fallout. And then it turned into like off brand, like Walmart fallout basically. And it was called Exodus. Yep. 
and I was able to find um, some, just like some of the Fallmart? basic. <laughs> yeah. Fallmart? Yeah. Fallmart? Is that? Yeah. So I found some of the player materials, and I was looking through it, and uh, we asked our buddy Bob, who normally would was DMing, I was like, hey, would you ever want to play in this scenario? And he 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 likes he is a very like traditional like likes the high fantasy type of stuff like Tolkien esque, and he was like ah you know I really wouldn't want to play in it because I, I was thinking of me like running a game in that universe just because I gravitate towards you know Fallout and that aesthetic, and he said well I wouldn't really be interested in playing but you know I might read through it and I might consider running it and so to me I was like well I want to run this because you know. I want to make something Fallout-esque. So that was kind of like the impetus for me to start thinking, well, how could I take some basic ideas, basic plot points from Fallout and kind of incorporate those into, you know, a fantasy D&D session? Um, So my big inspiration was uh, Fallout New Vegas. Um, That was where I kind of came up with the idea of factions, and they're all, you know, just like in New Vegas where they're all vying over the Hoover Dam, um, the yep. factions in my setting, they're all kind of vying over an object which you have yet to really, truly understand. <laughs> yeah, it's It's been brought up, but I don't know that it's right. necessarily like on your radar. It's on it, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's on it, if you catch my drift. Uh, but If you put a gun to my head and asked me what it was, I probably wouldn't get it right. Uh, you might. <laughs> okay. at, but, at any rate, um, yeah. that, was, that served as like my main inspiration point was... Um, just some of the like just very broad strokes there and once I knew what those were um, then that's when I started like really playing around with things and trying to make trying to make things my own instead of just like saying okay what is the fantasy analog to this Um, so I just kind of use the structure from New Vegas to basically give me the skeleton of what I wanted to do and then Mm -hmm. I just kind of fleshed it out from there I think one of the two things I want to highlight that you did right away too as a, a great jumping off point where you did a really good job of setting up the world for us. I remember when we started the campaign, we not only had handouts that gave us an idea of the world that we were traveling to, mm-hmm. but um, it gave us an idea of all the factions, where they were located and what they were doing and why. Broad ideas, yeah. Um, from one person's perspective, so we. To know be that fair, I did bring those in after the like the first session where I feel like everyone was kind of like, eh, side quests, yeah. and I was like, all right, that, that's a perfect example of like you know I knew <laughs> I noticed that you guys were like not picking up the the bones that I had like kind of just casually tossed out, so I was like, all right, mm-hmm. we need to be a little more direct. And then I had one of the NPC characters that was also like an employee of this company physically give you her notes that she had gathered while you were out doing side quest stuff and that put you right right back on track where I went. Yeah. I think that's really important to do from a player's perspective um, to any dungeon masters out there. It's really hard for players when they enter a new world where they don't really know anything because in this scenario, Brandon created this, it's homebrew, um, which means that it's not something that Dungeons and Dragons, it's it's Wizards of the Coast. Is that the name of the company? Mm -hmm. Wizards, it's not something that Wizards of the Coast has already put together. So it's it typically Dungeons and fans of the Dungeons and Dragons uh, games and, and, and um, typically know yeah. in books and stuff and lore, uh, the, all the manuals, the player handbooks and stuff, they eat that stuff up. So they already know the world that's being set up. And sometimes there's new homebrew things that are introduced. But this campaign from scratch verbatim is homebrew. Right. So. 
Yeah, it's still, As a it's player, still set in like the same universe. It's just like it would basically be like if the main Dungeons and Dragons land was like the U.S. We're just like we're off out in the middle of the ocean, like in Hawaii kind of deal. Right. Exactly. That, that's a great that's a great comparison. Yeah. Um, but as a as a player, it's so important to you never want to assume that you're talking down to the players and you kind of just want to give them that initial here's what you're doing, why and and yeah. how we we expect you'll go about doing it. A, a, more often than not, sometimes there's there's that uh, that not the epilogue. What's the the prologue, prologue yeah. where where uh, the DM will go? This is the time. This is the setting. And this is what's happening. Rarely do they go deeper into that because they expect you to go somewhere and talk to people to figure things out for yourself. Say, but a lot of my biggest gripe with starting a campaign is um, whenever the DM goes, what do you want to do first? And I don't have a lot of information yeah. and I got to make a decision based on just the prologue that I've been provided. So I think it's important for DMs to always well, the DMs to never assume that players are going to know exactly what's going on. Try to make it as clear cut as possible, even if that means um, not necessarily spoiling some of your good stuff, because that's that can be held off for later off in the right. campaign. But make sure you're giving them all the critical points that they would need to know and that you'd want them to know right away and give them a purpose. Give them an initial quest that takes them somewhere or does something that way. They're not. Uh, pressure to make a decision on what it is they need to do first without any context. Right. And I think and I'm not saying that you didn't do that. No, I completely understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. As you know, two people that play a ton of video games, I mean, I'm sure we're nowhere in here, like the top of that spectrum, but like compared to most people uh, that we know, I say we're like on the upper side of that. Um, but I think, having that background and then just like the variety of stuff that we play, like we've seen a lot of good ways that games kind of onboard you uh, into their world in a lot of bad ways. And that's another way that another place that I kind of pull from is, you know, how would this, how would I expect this to be set up logically, like in an actual video game that I would be interested in playing? Like what's, what's going to hook me because all everybody at our table, I mean, everybody, they all play games. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of use that, you know, if I know it has worked in, in the past in a game, like, you know, I will absolutely steal that, you know, reflavor it a little bit so that it fits in with the setting and then take it from there. Yeah. I, um, yeah, think of it like, um, think of the, some of the better RPG games, like your Skyrims, your fallouts and stuff. They always start you off with an introductory mission. And then there's that open world moment, that moment in fallout three, when you see the wasteland and the sun shines in your eyes, right? Same thing with Fallout 4 when you finally come out of the Vault 101. Um, same thing in Skyrim when you uh, escape from the dragon and uh, execution, and then you walk out of that uh, that world. Same thing with um, Oblivion when you walk out of the sewers for the first time and Patrick Stewart dies. Um, and then you <laughs> <laughs> do what you need to I do totally from there. I forgot that he was Uriel Septim in that. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing that I wanted to compliment is... Uh, the point I was making there was it's important to start us off with something to give us not just the prologue, but some context and some purpose right away. Right. It's better to not just plot people into a world and say, you have your prologue. Now what are you going to do? Like yeah. start us off with some action, get, you know, get our, get our loins a little, a little wet, you know, yeah. get us a little excited. Well, especially because of how open-ended 
D&D can be. Like, it's very overwhelming for you to be put in, you know, a new scenario. And it's just like, okay, what do you want to do? You're like, mm-hmm. well, it's it's a lot different whenever you're like real world, like you're standing somewhere and you say, oh, what do I want to do? Because you can look around and physically see everything yeah. that would potentially pique your interest. Whereas in D&D, it, it must be described to you. And, you know, if you haven't been given enough description or, uh, or a vague description, you know, something might not necessarily pique your interest when it, it should or when the, the DM intends you to, to, you know, follow a certain breadcrumb that might have been laid out. So Right. But you also don't always want to be overly descript. You don't want to just right. be like, there's the bar over there and it looks like there's a side door on it that's uh, that's uh, unlocked from five to nine. And then next to that is an it. It's, right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I wanted to compliment you on that you did well is you contained the whole campaign on one island. Yeah. We weren't in a world where we had unlimited places to go for the most part. You did a really good job of giving us an island where I could get my bearings. I could understand who's where, what's where, where are the key landmarks and stuff. You did a yeah. really good job setting up that and world. That, again, that, that comes back to just playing a lot of games and how yeah. do I make an invisible wall that doesn't feel like an invisible wall? Easy. You make it water. <laughs> make it water. <laughs> Learned that from Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from your perspective as a player um mm-hmm. so you did say this is you know you're we established that like you're kind of you're fairly new to it you know you're on your third character um yep. you've stuck with it for you know um, we, we played for i don't know probably two three months oh. on this latest character and then you know a good chunk of time before that yeah um what was it that really made you want to try D and D as opposed to just, you know, sticking with a traditional video game. And then once you did play it, what about dungeons and dragons kind of really like hooked you into it and made you want to continue and and make a second and third character. It's two things. It's the freedom of play and the camaraderie with your team. Those are the two things that you don't get in a video game per se with the tabletop game. You literally have the freedom to do whatever you want. If I want to just sit down on the ground while everybody else does stuff, I'm entitled to do that. Yeah. It's not going to help anybody or it's not (laughs) going to push our cause, but I can do that if I want to. Yeah, Your your character might might do that in a certain situation. Yeah. I can walk up to somebody and then in, if they don't like what they say or the way they look at me, I can punch them in the face. Right. I can't always do that in a game, but (laughs) I'm I'm not saying that there isn't freedom of choice and camaraderie in games, but there's something about just sitting around a table with people. It's kind of dark in the room. You're, you're in character. And I think that's the key thing is that you're, you're playing somebody that's not you with a bunch of other people who are doing the same thing. And it's, it's a level of role playing that isn't captured when everything is visually represented. I think there's, something special about our imaginations and our ability to play those characters that really pushes it um, to a new level and I I didn't appreciate that about Dungeons and Dragons for a very long time until um, Harmontown um, when I used to listen to Harmontown and they started to do Harmon Quest mm-hmm. um, with Spencer Crittenden and all those other guys um, that's what really got me thinking this could be something I get because I know a lot of the rules from the video game scenario. How could I apply those into the tabletop scenario? And once you get your head wrapped around the rules, it's um, it actually works out, and it's actually a lot of fun. 
Um, yeah. That's what kept me coming back. I think Harmon Quest has done wonders for uh, for D and D because I know that with us, um, we had like dabbled with it before, and then we had watched Harmon Quest, and that was like whenever we were in like a lull between campaigns for a while, and when we went mm-hmm. back and we watched Harmon Quest, like we were with everyone else at the table we were like you gotta watch this like check this out it's really awesome and then we all watched it we were like very just like reinvigorated and that really put us into a pretty consistent um, you know schedule of playing D&D so uh, I don't know there's tons of other people that have like never really had much of an interest or didn't know enough about D&D to want to pursue it and then you know you have this very nicely animated hilariously role played game um, that's made very accessible um, and I, that has to have done a ton and I know there's a lot of other you know YouTube channels like Critical Role um, mm-hmm. Dungeon Run that you know do the same kind of thing where you're watching people play through a game and um, it kind of sets a standard for um, what what to expect and it kind of puts a little extra pressure on the DM because you see these like great examples and uh, it kind of gives you something, something to shoot for. I mean, in my case, at least, I, I see that stuff and I'm like, I want to yeah. do that. that. That's really cool. I like how the players but, react yeah. to that. But it's so important to remember that as a DM and as a player, you can't those you can't create those moments. They happen right. organically. Right. And exactly. it always happens when you least expect it. 100%. Like in one of the in one of the past campaigns that we played, we had a role playing night where we didn't do anything, but we got really drunk at an inn and we ended up messing with one of the people that were there and we ended up like using our magic powers to like pee on a pee in the front of a doorway and then freeze the pee and then have the guy come out and slip on (laughs) and like like that was like our dm did not plan for that to happen another neither of us went in and said hey what if we use your uh frost abilities to do we didn't it just it happened right and it was hilarious and i remember belly laughing um it's stuff like that and it, it, it's it, it's addicting when you see a group of people having fun everybody who walks past wants to go oh i wonder what they're doing i want to join them yeah What's, what are they doing <laughs> it, it's the same thing when you watch these shows like you mentioned harmon quest dungeon run critical role etc um it, it there's those moments and <laughs> it's it's beautiful how it comes together because nobody planned for it to happen yeah and because it looks like so much fun, I think it's gotten so many more people amped on trying Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, it definitely has like the the contagious laughter sort of effect, where you know you see for sure you see the enjoyment. You you cannot help but also enjoy it, and then you know to take it to the next level and actually um, you know start mm-hmm. a game or, or join a game. Actually, that segue is really nicely into my next question, oh, uh, which we're, is we're good, we're good. I know. I know. <laughs> I don't know why more people don't listen to us. We're missing out. We're we have five people right now, which is like a, a which, record for us. This is yeah. incredible. If, so. And if anybody listening has a question, please feel free to put it in chat. And well, I mean, we're happy to answer it yeah. from any perspective or even, even if you just want to tell us, like, share a story or yeah, how awful we are as new newer players. <laughs> just somebody talk to us. Yeah. Anybody. <laughs> um, so oftentimes I don't think a DM gets a chance to, Highlight what is an original idea of their campaign versus something that is maybe more of a staple of um, Dungeons and Dragons. With this in mind, was there something about this campaign that was your own original idea that you particularly proud of that may have flown under the radar or otherwise? Um, 
I mean, I have a couple of things that I think are going to be pretty cool that we haven't gotten to yet. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're still kind of in the uh, earlier phases of the game. It doesn't um, have to be this campaign necessarily either. If there's another campaign you've done and you've been like, you know, just one of those like oh, pat myself on the shoulder moments. <laughs> um, let me see here. I'm thinking back to the the one, the last one that I ran before this current one. Um, we had, and I'm I'm conflating one I was playing in. Well, I'll, I'll go with that. So one that I was playing in uh, when Bob was running it, we had a uh, a character that was it was like an NPC character that he kind of gave our way mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't have a healer in the group, and so he gave us like a healer NPC to kind of follow us around and and sort of you know help us out, and uh, he was he was beloved by the group and he had like. Bob had expert timing on uh, when to take our enjoyment and just like our attachment to this character and just completely turn it against us and use it as like the ultimate motivation. So he had uh, it's kind of like a, a bigger plot point that led into like a much, much larger part of the story. And he had like one, the big bad killed this guy like right in front of us and we were we had the opportunity to save him but Mm -hmm. our actions and even just like our roles like did not let that occur and so he like viciously like just killed this character right in front of us and it was my character's fault and like i internalized that like to the nth degree and like my i made my character like after like the bad guy left because we were all like wounded and we couldn't we like couldn't fight him without you know basically having a total party wipe so he got away and my character like picked up this guy he was like a smaller character and i was a a half orc so i'm like you know big burly kind of guy carried him on my back until we were able to find up like take him back to uh where we had originally met him and then like bury him and we gave him like the full uh scenario franklin yes hannah franklin (laughs) gave him like the full burial and like his death became my own and my character's motivation to figure out like, what is this guy's connection to us? Why is he doing this? And you know, what, what's going on here? Like, what is the greater picture that we've kind of fallen into? And it was just that, that sticks out to me so much because it was just super memorable. Um, it just, it's one of those things again, it kind of happened, where uh, and this I know this because we had discussed it at length after the campaign because that was like the mm-hmm. the one part that everyone was like oh man when you killed Franklin Bob like like <laughs> the girls were like borderline in tears and I was just like he killed him and I was like so did you like did you have that plan for him to get killed or was that you know just the roll of the dice and he was like I kind of was like leaning towards that. And it just so happened that the roles were like very bad. So it was like, just gave it that extra punch, but none of us saw it coming. Perfect example of something that's like not strictly by the book, but something that the DM came up with and it just played out so well. And so organically, like he couldn't have written that uh, with, you know, that exact scenario in mind and Mm -hmm. have the same impact it 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 worked because it was organic it caught everybody off guard he just kind of he had the the essence of what would happen and then everything else that sort of uh fell into place from there which is like very uh characteristic of D &D and how those things fall into place that's what made it so special to us and right 
Hannah was watching us in the chat and she instantly knew what his name was. And I'm ashamed to say that I could not remember his name (laughs) as much as it affected me at the time. I couldn't remember his name just now. Uh, Well, that's great because it, it, it presented stakes. Now you guys had stakes in, in the, in the story. Not only was it whatever you were set out to do originally, but now it's a revenge story. Yeah. or an, an avenging story as much if anything right well what was funny is when when i asked him i was like did you want him to die to motivate us or like and he was like actually he's like i just got tired of having to keep track of him as an npc <laughs> like in battles and stuff and he's like i just wanted to get rid of him yeah and he's like but I, he's like i kind of figured it would affect you but i didn't know it like really hit home like that so it was it was awesome like mad props to bob for that one like that was probably going on two, three years ago at this point, And that still sticks out in my right. mind very vividly. Yeah. Now from a DM's perspective, when situations like that present itself, obviously the players can't see what you're rolling because you're behind your little right. screen in a scenario like that, where you feel very, you feel very strongly that something probably should happen. Like this character should be killed to give mm-hmm. a little bit more substance to the story. Give you guys a little bit more stakes in to, to, to work towards would you as a DM make that call regardless role or would you always play by the RNG and that's how it is? Or um, where, where do you draw that line? So a lot of times when I make those type of decisions, um, the, the rules will take a backseat to what is, what is going to be the most fun or what's going to have like the greatest hook to the players. And it says it right in the, in the dungeon masters handbook that, the, the DM is there to kind of facilitate and interpret the rules, but they're not completely beholden to them. You'll have some DMs right. that they, they will be by the book with everything. Um, and that's fine. You know, I mean, that's just the players kind of go into that with that expectation of whether or not the DM is going to, you know, uh, you know, fudge a role here and there just for the sake of, of the narrative or uh, mm-hmm. keeping people interested. And I will basically rely on the rule of cool. Like if you tell me something that you want to do, that might kind of bend the rules a little bit, as long as it's not like game breaking or like very egregious and it's like cool and it makes, you know, you feel like a star and it kind of hypes up the rest of the group. Like I'll go with it nine times out of 10, as long as it's not anything just like super, super off the wall or, or game breaking, I'll roll with it. I'm very yes. And with that kind of stuff, because yeah, to me, there's nothing more frustrating as a player when, you come up with this awesome idea of like how you want something to play out or this really cool idea of what you want to do and then find out that like you can't necessarily do that because the rules say this and it's kind of a technicality that you shouldn't be able to do that because ultimately like the DM, they can do what they want and you don't always have to tell your players like why you're doing something and in those situations where it's really cool, I would just do it and not even Mm -hmm. let on that it wasn't possible or that I did that or I was, you know, throwing a bone or something like that. Um, But when you do have to say, no, you can't do that. Like, you know, it's, it doesn't hurt to say you can't do that because um, just so that it doesn't seem like you're just making stuff up. Because it's not a world without rules, but there is some leniency there where, yeah. yeah. But I would say oh. for for everything I deny, I probably appro- everything that I deny that a player wants to do that's off the like out of the book, um, I will probably approve at least you know two like a two to one ratio of approve to disapprove. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, 
Emily in the chat asked me if I'd ever want to be a DM. Uh, the answer is yes, I would, but I, would I don't think love, I'm ready. I would love to play in a game that you ran. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm ready for that responsibility yet. It'd have to be something smaller. It'd have to be just like a like an episode rather than a season. Yeah. Um, just so I can get my head around it because it, it is a lot at the end of the day. It's a lot of preparation. It's a lot of quick math. It's a lot of um, like Brandon said. You got to feel the room. Yeah. You got to know a lot of reading the room. Yeah, and you, you, but you have to know that the decisions you're making and the things that you're changing are ultimately going to affect what you want the end goal to be and what you want the end game to be. Yeah. Nobody wants to play through a campaign where they all die at the end. Everybody wants to play a campaign where they, you know, win and are successful and ruse whoever you know crosses their path. Right. But at the same time, you have to find that balance of danger. And I could possibly die and I could possibly get lost, but I'm powerful, but I'm not super weak. Like it's, 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 it's hard to gauge. So I'd have to, I'd have to do some more research and, and, and try it, but I I would love to try my hand at it. Um, sometime. Yeah. It's definitely, it's an undertaking, but it is, it's super rewarding to see all these things that you've planned out, you know, potentially, months in advance actually play out and it almost always plays out you know absolutely in a different way than you thought and to me that's like where a lot of the fun of of being a dm is derived from is you know the unanticipated stuff and then Mm -hmm. i I enjoy that frantic okay i was totally not expecting this how do i respond to this while still you know keeping things in the game flowing I'm so sorry. I have to do this again. This segues perfectly into my third question. Dude, <laughs> can keep, I can I ask rolling. you again? Keep okay. it rolling, man. Um, how much of your campaign or campaigns of past was prepared ahead of time versus improv on the spot? And is there a specific example you would want to highlight for the audience? Um, so my first campaign was pretty on the rails. Like I had a very um, not pre-planned, but I had a very like narrow path so to speak of where i wanted things to go and like flow through um so that was it was pretty well planned it was that, that was the first campaign that i'd done this is only my second one um and yeah i mean it was fun enough but this second one when i was planning it and i think the, the big difference between my first and my second um was well, the first one you know i was trying to anticipate everything that, that could possibly happen and i kind of like overwrote all my notes mm-hmm. and in this one I think just having already done one having played you know a couple more campaigns in the interim time um, I was more comfortable with the idea of like not necessarily knowing what was going to go on so whenever I started I pretty much I came up with like an idea of you know what are these four factions what are their motivations and just kind of like grounding them in such a way so that regardless of what you would say or what someone would do like i had an idea of how logically that group or someone from that group should respond and uh there's been a lot more improv on this side um i think once we're done with it and i go through and actually show you (laughs) what i have planned you'll probably be surprised at how much of it is actually like on the fly um We've is there done. a specific example of a time when you've had to improv on the spot that you were particularly proud of or that you may have just like pulled out of nowhere because you had to? Um, pretty much everything after you guys landed in the first session, like when you were doing the side quests, 
um, I had like that uh, that image that was like the notice board with everything on it. Mm-hmm. I was given like very very general like outlines of like where things were and like who you had to talk to but everything else like the people that you talked to what their names were uh their personalities what their motivations were um that uh wasn't a beholder um i think i can't remember what it was, it was the beholder like character um that you sent oh, to yeah. the ship um, yeah yeah none of that was written down so i would say like that first session um i would say at least like 70 percent of that was just on the fly and that just the first session alone wow it didn't feel like that so i think that's that's the the goal that's the biggest compliment (laughs) that's the goal a dm (laughs) (laughs) yeah wow um very cool so in talking about like you know the social interaction is one of the three pillars as they call it in D&D um, the other two being exploration and the third obviously is combat mm-hmm. um, of those three you've I know you've experienced all three of them in your time um, mm-hmm. which of those three do you kind of gravitate the most towards in D&D and why do you why do you feel social like interaction yeah. it's not even without question I kind of figured that's what you would say yeah it's all it's always about uh, what what can my character do because the hardest thing about D is separating what you would do and what you know is right and what you know is wrong from uh, the character that you're playing right it's it's very important for me to be in that moment and be that character and live that role as much as i can so that i'm making decisions that even i myself know is not what needs to happen in order to elicit or so or solicit response and um, interaction and um, reaction from the group. So in the example of uh, my character, which I made this time, which is the Bugenhagen, who is a he's a professional wrestler slash entertainer where in, in, in Brandon's world, his homebrew world, my idea of a professional wrestler was somebody who actually physically wrestles. So therefore is more of like a strong man circus act type guy. Um, same rules apply, but it's just not a televised event. It's something that people flock to, pay money for, and spectator kind of thing. Yeah, more more like a boxing match type right. thing. Mm-hmm. More like Vegas boxing matches and stuff. Um, so I created this big, begrudging, blundering Bugenhagen who was like a seven foot four monster who my inspiration for the character um, was a mixed mash of a bunch of pro wrestlers that I loved growing up, but also looks wise. I got him from, um, do you remember the scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy fights the big Nazi at the airplane? <laughs> that's, as soon that's as you exact- said Indiana Jones, I instantly was like, that's where the inspiration for the visual That's came That's from. where the visual inspiration came from. Um, so when I thought of what would I want my guy to look like that's timely for the the period that we're in, but not necessarily like you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin running around just giving people stunners in, in you know, Yorkshire. Um, I wanted to create somebody like the Bugenhagen and one of the, and I think it's, in, I think it's really important <laughs> to have specific character traits that you embody. And one of the ones that Bugenhagen has is um, he's, he's a, he's a gentle giant 
So at heart, he, he he's always going to try to talk things out verbatim rather than just run fists first. But he never turns down a fight. Right. But he also has absolutely no volume to his voice. <laughs> so we could be sneaking through a cave of watchmakers who where it's dead silent. And the first thing I'm going to do is scream at the person that we've been tailing to try to get their uh, their gaze on me. Now, I know that's wrong. I know that's not what I want to do. Right. But my my party needs to learn that if Bugenhagen is going to be a part of this party, we need there needs to be some ground rules, i.e. somebody <laughs> needs to make sure Bugenhagen doesn't speak first. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, this big bludgeoning idiot's going to run up and say, hey, I know you. Um, can you just give us the thing that we're tailing you for <laughs> before he throws a punch at anybody? And I'm happy to say like 50% of the time it, it worked out in our favor where people were like, Oh, that, that actually, Oh, glad we talked to that person before we fought somebody. <laughs> um, but that other 50% is what I live for. The oops, we got ourselves in over our head because Bugenhagen's a, a begrudging idiot who just screams at everybody else. Um, and that was like the thing that I stuck with. So even when we're playing, I'm screaming at Brandon as the yeah. DM. I'm screaming at my party mates. Like I'm trying to keep that interaction and it really sets the table. Whereas then I noticed more people started playing into their characters yep. and people were trying different accents and trying different things. Bob did a really good job with his character this go around of being somebody who is just a complete racist towards elves. Like even the ones in our parties, <laughs> yeah. he cannot stand them. Um, and I thought that was hilarious, though I don't promote racism. Um, <laughs> thought it was hysterical. And then um, I thought Hannah and Krista started coming around too, where um, Krista was playing like a small uh, dwarf halfling type character who was really into the chemistry of things and making her own potions and bombs and all that kind of stuff. And it got to a point where she started like, just, I just started carrying her on my shoulders and my back. And we were going to have uh, one of your NPCs, like make us like a, like one of those like standing backpacks for kids. Where like the master chief, blaster like, in the, exactly. In the Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, but it, yeah, it's that social interaction of, because I picked the lane and I stuck to it and I tried not to deviate from that lane too much. I think there were times where I, I deferred every now and then, but for the most part, Bugenhagen was Bugenhagen and that's what he did. Yeah. And I thought, I think that helped the other people realize, Oh, these aren't just characters and we're not just here talking about them. We are them. Right. And it's going to make this session much more better because now much, much more, much, yeah, much better, <laughs> much more better, much more better. Um, it, it yeah it's it, I don't know it's like Halloween like when you're dressing up you get to be that person right and it's just one night so why not go all out and have fun with it and see if anybody else kind of joins in with you because yet again when you see other people having fun and doing stuff the first thing you want to do is hop in and join them right. whatever contagious. it is they're doing mm-hmm. it's very contagious yeah, yeah. and I, I very much appreciate the way that you've been playing that character um, not only for uh, how it kind of hooks everybody in and makes them want to role play that much more. Um, but the dichotomy of your character, his appearance and, you know, his, you know, his physical strength and, and just his imposing nature contrasted with how direct and how 
how little you actually resort to fisticuffs like off the bat always yeah. keeps me he, on my he's toes. very blunt yes and it as a dm i like it when my players don't play directly into my hand and i think you do a really good job intentionally or not of anticipating like oh he wants us to do this i'm gonna go hard right instead of left and that's i want to see how so, this plays oh, out that's so hard to do because you don't want to consciously as a player make that decision right i don't want to be thinking as andrew Bugenhagen is gonna go right here because that's gonna create a funny scenario right I'm really trying to think if I'm a big begrudging blunt idiot walking around (laughs) in a dungeon and I see people who I've never seen before because all I've ever done my whole life is wrestle in front of other people. I've never seen goblins, moblins, wizards, magic, but I'm never ever going to turn down a fight and I'm sure as hell not going to stick, not going to not stick up for my party. Right. So regardless what it is i'll fight but what would i do in that scenario yeah so it's 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 never as much what's gonna solicit the response that i think is going to be funny and whimsical for everybody to go Mm. haha that was so bugenhagen it's literally what would i do this is what i'm gonna do and that's so hard to do because it's still a game at the end of the day and you want to come out on top Right. But it's the DM's responsibility to make sure that at some point, you know, granted, you're not making stupid decisions that these people come out on top in some way, shape or form. Right. So it's it's like I know you're not going to intentionally kill me, but I also know that it's not fun to just be like, oh, yeah, like like lie about your die rolls and be like, oh, it was 11. But I know that 11 is too low. So I'll say 12. Like, right. It, like that's not fun and i and i know people have played like that in the past and it's just it you got you just gotta let things happen the way that they happen yeah and i think that's important yeah take the good with the bad yeah um, it's it there's it perfectly balances all things should be yeah so, thanks Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> um so as i was like just the way that you get so into the character like that that keeps me as the DM invested um, just from that player interaction um, to kind of flip that around as a player. Um, what are some things that the DM can do that keep you invested as a player? I think one thing you do really well is you breathe life into your world. You don't describe it, but you enact it. Um, one of the things that you're so good at and I think is one of your strengths and you should use more is your impersonations and your accents and the characters we're meeting and the people we're talking to and their like-mindedness or lack thereof. I think that's really important to have because if everybody has a similar voice and a similar accent, imagine if it was an audiobook right. and there's like, like 10 different characters. The same people, yeah. But somebody's just reading the book to you rather than doing the voices. Sure excuse me you know there's a lot a little goes a long way mm-hmm. and that's not to, and i know that not everybody's a va and not everybody can just sit down and, and do that um it definitely takes some skill and it, it makes you swallow some pride because sometimes you think what you're gonna say is a british accent and then you end up saying a scottish accent and, and it's you just gotta lean into but it. but you just gotta roll with it you know yeah. it's one of those things that's just yeah i think one of the biggest things with uh DMs is you, anybody playing Dungeons and Dragons is you kind of got to 
come in and, and just swallow your pride and do what you're going to do and whatever happens happens and everybody just has to roll with it yeah. um, and I think you do a really good job of um, re- Hannah mentioned it too you do a really good job of rewarding us um, not just you know hey you completed the quest and the adventure and therefore here's your prize but you reward exploration thinking outside the box which then sets the tone for the game for the players to know okay then it's it, it behooves us to think this way and act this way and that's going to make this a much more enjoyable experience rather than just you didn't go from room one to room two to room three to room four um and now here's your treasure chest yeah. that's not really fun that's more on the rail stuff like you were talking mm-hmm. about and there isn't that much freedom of choice there um um to what hannah was saying here in the chat um talking to um more personalized gear things that are relevant to the characters we play um she said i if you're playing with a whole party of rogues but you reward us with a heavy axe it's not useful um yeah and that is one thing that i do try to do is like once i know what everybody's character is um there's an awesome subreddit it's called the griffin saddlebag so if you're a dm or a player that wants to pass this along to your dm um this guy basically like all he does uh, on this subreddit is he comes up with these unique items that are like very specialized um with great illustrations he has it all written out in the same format as you would see like the magic items directly from like the published materials and the people that are on that subreddit will comment on it and help him balance it so they're generally very balanced very usable items and I just go through that Reddit like, you know, every other day or so, and I'll go through and be like, yep, that's pertinent to Bugenhagen. It's going to bookmark that. You know, that's pertinent to um, Balrock. You know, we're, we're adding that to the to the list. Right. And um, a lot of times what I try to do is I'll try to pick an item. I mean, it's not unlike in a lot of games where, um, you know, they'll give you an item to kind of not force you, but kind of encourage you to play in a different way that maybe you hadn't been playing already or to kind of enhance what you've already been doing. Um, and I think a great example of that was the, uh, the bracers that you recently got. If you want to talk about those, uh, I, I really don't remember them off the top of my head. I, I don't, re- I remember how I got them. I don't remember what specifically they did. Could you give me a gentle reminder? Well, first <laughs> the fact that you remember how you got them is, uh, I, I I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that's more meaningful than what they actually do. Um, yeah. But the, the title, well, that, that, that's what stuck with me. Right. Right. The fact that the, the, the journey was more what sticks in your mind than the actual reward is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> proud well, proud this, DM moment there. Yeah. It's the same thing with, um, you did a really good job of, because I, I played a homebrew character. I played a professional wrestler. That's mm-hmm. not, uh, a Wizards of the Coast D and D fifth edition character right. that is class that is it's it's based off of those character classes, but it's a it's a mishmash hodgepodge of that kind of stuff, which yeah. all good I think all good Dungeons and Dragons stuff is. Um, you did a good job of creating uh, 
other pro wrestlers within the world who were also wearing title belts. So one of the things with the the pro wrestling class was when you're wearing a title belt, not only does a title belt denote you as champion of whatever federation or faction style, that you're yeah. a part of or style, um, but it also has magical properties that give you bonuses towards a style of combat, whether it's technician, high flying, um, uh, power, etc. And you did a really good job of setting up other people in the world who were just like me, these big begrudging idiots who also <laughs> were in gold. And uh, I think one of the first places we ran into was um, it was like a, it was like a fighter's hall. Grom's Grom's Roughhouse and Grom himself, the owner of Grom's Roughhouse is a technician champion and he was wearing a a wrestling belt. And the thing that you can do in the world with these homebrew characters is you can challenge people for their belt. And if you win their belt, you can gain that as an item to wear and then possess those abilities in combat. So just having those in the back of my mind, because Grom is not somebody that I would want to roughhouse with right away as a low level character. But as I adventure and when I come back and I'm better, much like a lot of good, well-written RPG games, um, I know that I can now challenge for that title and change my class if I wanted to at that time, Yeah, which I thought was a really cool idea. Yeah, Uh, that was that was one of the reasons why I was uh, into the idea of that class that we had found was you know it added like a nice additional element to the game um uh so we've talked about a lot about the stuff that um we really like about D. Mm-hmm. um let's um uh, let's go to the other side of that coin um what irks Ooh. you the most about D and this is this could be something that um players do or the dm does or just like the game mechanics in itself what what is what's like your number one gripe with D? um i think my number one gripe with D in general is just the stigma that comes with it that people think that they know what it entails having never tried it and sometimes even those who have tried it have tried it in such a, tradi- a traditional sense that um, it doesn't speak to them and therefore they're never going to try it again. When mm-hmm. I think D and D is beyond just the dungeons and dragons aspect, it can be so much more than that. And I think we've explored that and I've seen that in this campaign, which has really kept me coming back for more um, because it's so different and it's not so um, driven and, and, and lived in the medieval sword and sorcery era. Yeah. Um, not that that's not something I'm not interested in, but it's not the first thing I'm running to. I'm a sci-fi boy at heart. That's what I was born to. Mm-hmm. And I think people have this idea. It's like, well, I'm not a big fan of Lord of the Rings, so therefore I'll never try Dungeons and Dragons. And I think that's silly because it's so much more than that. You're acting, you're role playing, you're doing math, you're you're um, you're creating a character your your um you're working your there's there's teamwork there's team building there's uh just so much social interaction that's happening there's so much more to it than just oh yeah it's just wizards and dragons and fireballs and pew pews everywhere <laughs> um that's my biggest thing it, it, from the game itself and just the playing um the <laughs> i i don't mean this uh, to anybody listening who has ever played Dungeons and Dragons with me or Brandon yourself, it's that it's getting into the game 
I cannot stand sitting down, getting ready, getting everything together, and then we all have to get back on the same page. And sometimes that doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you play for two hours and then everybody's like, oh, like now I want to be here. Like now I'm into it. Now I get it. Some people just kind of go through the motions and I'm totally guilty of that too. But it's one of those things where this is why I lean so hard into a character like Bugenhagen because he sets the tone. And it's so important to do that. And you're pretty good about... If you recognize the players aren't into it, what can I do to set that tone and get you back into it? And it's a lot of that off the cuff improvisational stuff that you were mentioning earlier. But sometimes even, you know, the DM shows up and the DM's like, I really just don't. I'm not. This is Thursday. It's my one day. And I like I just don't want to do this tonight. But maybe one of the players is just like, you know what? screw it i'm just gonna go all in tonight and everybody else starts buying in and it's contagious um that's why i think the social interaction is so important because you could prepare a campaign for days you could have some of the best well-written characters out there but if the people who are engaging with each other aren't into it and aren't friendly with each other and aren't um there to live in the moment it's gonna be a very very painfully long session yeah for sure So I think it's so important as a DM and as a player that when you show up to make sure you set that tone early, because otherwise it's a drog of just it's it's like you're in mud until you finally get there and you're like, all right, I'm back in. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. It is it's tough to um, get into that kind of like headspace of sitting Mm -hmm. down to play this game that's does require some thought and, you know, I would say not um, not necessarily like above average commitment to what you're doing, but it's it's atypical to other types of games where like well, video games we can just kind of sit down yeah. and have that you know an immediate stimulation to something or like a board game where you pretty much start off and you know exactly what you're doing. Like oftentimes you come back from uh, you know anywhere from like a week to you know in our case several months and um, you know that stretch of time where you haven't played the game can really affect how much you can get back into the swing of things and sometimes it's a slow start sometimes everybody comes in and they're just they're they're raring to go and sometimes you know it's a good cliffhanger that you left off on you can't wait to see what's going to happen next and then sometimes you're like in the middle of like the most boring plot beat and you're just trying to get to that next you know fun thing or, or interesting thing right And it's tough to do because, I mean, you as a teacher can speak to you don't always want to teach class (laughs) or like a class comes in and you're like, there's some good kids, but there's also some bad kids. How am I going to make this interesting for them or am I just not into it today? It's tough. It's 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 not an there's no easy fix and there's no this is the right way to do it. And this is the wrong way. Right. I think the comparison to teaching, it's that's a very astute one. Um, I think I do kind of fall back on just like that skill from my day-to-day job of um, recognizing when people aren't into things and and trying to, you know, make whatever changes on the fly I can so that either you are interested or you move beyond what's not interesting to, you know, get to the point a little bit faster. So what is it about um, D&D that you yourself don't thoroughly enjoy all the time or think could be improved? Um, 
this this might be specific to our table in general, and I'm sure that there's probably other you know groups that have the same issue. But my my biggest issue is the. I think I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> I don't know if you do necessarily. Maybe uh, not. Okay. My biggest gripe is when you hit the end of a campaign or you're whether that's artificial in that you just haven't played and, and you're just ready to start something new or um, you you finish the storyline um, I, I dislike having to make a brand new character after I've invested so much time and exposition in crafting a character that like I want to play and I'm excited to play and I usually feel like um almost always like by the time we're at the end of that story or we like move on to the next campaign that's inevitably always when I've like really just dialed into the character whether that's true or it's just because you know as you play more you you kind of uh, meld with that character a little bit more but I like <laughs> it's totally the opposite of Hannah she just I, I was about to say it and I looked over in the chat and I saw she already all caps yep. me and said that <laughs> making characters is her favorite <laughs> I, I'm very much invested and in, in connected to the characters that I create and like I hate you know putting that <laughs> sheet in the folder with all the other bygone characters that you know I don't necessarily know if we're ever going to come back to them yeah. Um, yeah it's like the Ben and Jerry flavors that never make it to production <laughs> or they retire and there's like right. a graveyard uh, the retired ones <laughs> in yeah. Vermont I, I hate retiring characters um, and, and and for me when I make a character like I usually have to have some kind of like underlying concept and like I've, I've been around for 30 years. I have a pretty good idea of what I do and do not like. So like I can say with almost absolute certainty that like there's out of like the what six classes that there's probably like only three of the six that I like really enjoy playing and the other mm-hmm. three I have like no interest in and I'm like, well, can only make so many rogues or you know somebody else in the party hasn't been a rogue yet and they want to be a rogue so i'm not going to step on their toes so i'm going to fall back to the other one so but i I could totally understand why people would like to create new characters um for me there's always a period of time where we're we're gearing up for a new campaign or, or a new you know session switching off dms or whatever we're making this new character and always like you know, there's like a two week period maybe where everyone's like into their new characters. And I'm just like, I'm like the kid that like knows they have math homework to do. And I just do not want to do my effing math homework, but I know I have to do it. And And it's not even the even questions, which are in the back of the book. It's all the odd questions. questions. Why are you going to do that to me? Miss Pataglia? Come on. Oh, that was Mr. Young. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that's, I mean, that's, I don't think that's a huge irk with the, the game itself. It's really just kind of something that just, I particularly don't like. I like, I just, I like to make that character. And by the time we're, we usually are ready to move on to the next one, I feel like I have it just dialed in and I'm not ready to get away from that. So it sounds like when you create a character, it's all about, it's the class that I'm playing. That's, that's where you start. Um, you're like, this is where I'm going to start and this is what I'm going to do. Therefore, I'm going to avoid these classes that I know I'm not going to enjoy playing for X, Y, Z reason. Well, 
I wouldn't say, oh, I, I guess I kind of start with the class. Like I, I know the one I know that I know that I like playing as a fighter. I know that I like playing as a rogue and I know that oh, well, I should say there's four characters, well, the three, three, sometimes four mm-hmm. Depen- depends on the, the overall party chemistry. But like, I know I like rogues for sure. I know I like fighters for sure. Uh, I know I like paladins and then I haven't played a ton of a ranger, but I'm pretty certain that I would like a ranger. Um, but like those park like, ranger or like yeah like uh you, what's the guy from yogi Bear? <laughs> no i know I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so like those are like the four that i gravitate gravitate towards but like like bards warlocks sorcerers um like basically like the casters like man i don't want to deal with just pages and pages of spells and like i, I don't know I, i'm very traditional and I mean, even like when I play like Skyrim in like those type of games like bows and arrows and swords and daggers it's very much my lane um, I could go through all of Skyrim and, and not touch a spell and you know not even think twice about it it's just like it's, it's never really been my style um, and I don't know if that's more my kind of like, like you I kind of I gravitate towards sci-fi a little bit more and I don't know if that's you know more analogous to sci-fi with swords and and shooting things than spells are um but i don't know i I like to keep it simple and i think it's more interesting to build a like a character that relies less on uh the magic even though there, there are cool things you can do um but i like to just keep it simple i like to know that i have a sword on my back and a shield on my arm not okay, I can pick from these 17 spells that I currently know and I can only use, you know, five, five spell slots and it's just, to me, it's a lot to keep track of and I feel like there's too much for me to have to um, pre-plan and think about to, that's going to slow down the game. So I feel like even though if, if I wanted to try it, I don't want to be like a detriment to the game and I don't want to be annoyed with the character I'm playing. So I, I start with the class and then... Uh, start with the class meaning i stick with those four and then it's more of what kind of a concept fits best with those like my last character i played that was a fighter um it was i was coming off of god of war and i was kind of like you know i'm gonna make like a kratos-esque type of character that's just like Mm -hmm. very gruff um you know not super social but is like skilled and intelligent and that's usually where i go from yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think just to build on that, what helped me with character building, because when I started as a new player playing D&D, I started my first character was a dwarf. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Umi Fork Blackfig, if you recall. I do. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the second character I did was Zura Blazeguard, which was a halfling uh, rogue. Uh, Umi Fork was a was a dwarf, I think a dwarf fighter. Um, and then this time around, of course, I used the homebrew class. But if I found it very hard to care about the characters I was playing, because two main reasons. To your point, I wasn't interested in the classes themselves. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't interested in, in playing as the rogue because I don't think like a rogue. And it's hard for me to think like a rogue. So yeah. I, I tend to avoid those uh, types of characters now. But I think... 
what really helped me with Bugenhagen is I love professional wrestling. I grew up with it and I feel like I understand it more so than anything else. So that really helped me get into it. But what really clocked me in was the character on top of the class. And I'm now convinced that I could play any character class. And as long as I create a viable character that I buy into and that I'm having fun playing as it doesn't matter what I'm doing. 100% agree with you. I think that's kind of what I was trying to get at in a very (laughs) not so direct way. Right. Um, But it's hard to start and say, okay, I guess I'm going to play a wizard, but you also just can't start creating somebody without knowing what class and race they are. It's, it's, it's it's a weird balancing act. Yeah. And my one, go ahead. Uh, Good say what you're going to say, because I was I, I might go long on this next one. <laughs> my my one uh, my one recommendation to people who are out there and uh, wanting to try creating a character or maybe want to try something different when they're creating a character. The thing that I found that helped me the most and this is just me was picking a character trait and sticking to it. And really leaning into that lane. And in this scenario, I've described Bugenhagen, but the thing that made it fun for me was the really loud yelling all the time, like having no volume to your voice. Because when you do that, you're automatically in character. Yeah, I don't think anybody at the table expected you to shout on that first night. And it like really like (laughs) everyone was, they did that. (laughs) Like they moved away, they, they backed up like, oh. He's, but like that re- reaction was exactly what I wanted. Right. And that let me know that I have something special here and I'm right. going to just stick to this. Yeah. Otherwise, that would have changed after, by night two. Yeah, I think another viable strategy for someone creating their first character is um, my method kind of to piggyback off of my last character that was based off of Kratos is mm-hmm. to think of a character in in fiction that, you know, you really enjoy and then kind of try to boil them down to like their essence. What, what is it about that character that you like? What is interesting about that character? Mm-hmm. And then kind of play up those traits. Um, another way that I've come up with a really cool character was uh, my character, not the last one, my character before the last um, was, it was, it was one of the, the what is it? Uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, they added like new subclasses for all the different main classes. And mm-hmm. one of the ones for Rogue was an investigator. It was basically like a Sherlock Holmes type character. And very, it's like one of the least like roguey rogues that you can do. Because typically rogues are like, oh, I'm going to go around and sneak and steal. And like that's. The, I'm going to stab you and run away. You won't even know it. Right. That's the trope. Um, right. With this investigator class, it was very like, uh, you know, they were. A, like lawful character so they weren't stealing but they were being sneaky in the way that like you know a private eye would be in like tailing like you know a mark or something mm-hmm. and uh, it also helps if, if you can find like a different angle to approach the class from it makes it really fun because uh, to me it like adds that extra layer of like well how can I kind of subvert the the expectation of this character whilst or this class while still staying within its bounds and it keeps things from getting stale and um to me it it also helped kind of shape like what that character was like it was it was more focused than just the general like sneaky rogue like he was a sneaky guy but he was good wanted to do the right thing 
Um, mm-hmm. Very like investigative. Like I was like, really good at like finding clues and stuff along those lines, and the, the abilities that went right. along with it were really cool too. But yeah. Yeah, a, that's the perfect way to start out and really lean into that. Like if you're yeah. going Sherlock Holmes, like give the guy a drug problem, but he's only he's high functioning when on drugs. Yeah. So like he has a problem, but it's all it's almost like a necessity at some point. Yeah. My guy, he was um, he was an occult investigator. So like he specifically focused on like occult and like strange things. And it was perfect because the campaign we were in, like I didn't even realize that it was one of the major hooks was like there was several cults and uh his backstory was that his wife had been sacrificed by a cult so like he's very you know into learning about them finding them out and then trying to like take them down yeah it's almost like it almost sounds like a like it's a it's a sherlock holmes character but it leans into like a doc brown whereas like he's so good at what he does in his field that he's almost mad about it yes yep that's a great I lo- like that, that's that's such a yeah and I'm just, th- th- but this is what gets me so excited is, is just creating these characters and then like really turning them into your own and yeah. like what can I do to make this like anybody can make an archer anybody can make anybody can make a, a make a link wannabe like right. link from the legend of Zelda but if you're leaning into the link maybe you're a mute maybe you just speak in ha's and hi-as and mm-hmm and <laughs> Like, like the, 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 but it's just like that added sauce that it, it's a little bit of a layer, but it, it changes it changes the game. It changes everything, and I think other players really appreciate those. But I think DMs especially appreciate it because it shows that you're serious about it, you're into it, and you've carved out your own little niche in that world. Yeah. Now, from a DM's perspective, I would love to know. We've talked about, um, you know, what can players do to better their time what can from your perspective what can a dm do to maybe improve their campaign what are like the what are like your three your your top three things that you think every dm should be trying to do with their next campaign to improve and and make it better for everybody else um i would say number one try at all costs to avoid over planning um because your players are going to go in unexpected ways and uh, if you overplan, it's very easy for them to go off of what you've sort of anticipated and then become very frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so to combat that, um, I would say, you know, like I had mentioned before, if you if you have like your, your big bad evil guy and his cronies, um, just kind of sitting down and thinking about very basic things such as, you know, why why is this big bad evil guy why is he doing what he is doing like what is his motivation for doing that and then you know his secondhand guy like why is he following him like what is what is the reason for that and once you can understand um the generalities of what your your main characters are why they act the way that they act um it it gives you enough uh gives you enough boundaries that you can stay consistent but it also leaves you open enough that you can play off of these unexpected things that your players are inevitably going to do so that would be number one um don't mm-hmm. over plan um and just you know keep it vague enough um my second thing would be if you are if you have a particular story in mind that you want to tell um you don't 
it, it should not, in my opinion, it should not be you go from A to B ticket to, to C. Yeah. Um, I showed you a blank flow chart of what I came up and I have like, we started A and then you could go to B or C or D and then you might be able to go from C to H or, you know, every which way. And I kind of plotted it out like that, like try to make it make sense to go from, you know, one thing to the next, but not necessarily make it a linear path to get there. Um, that helps in keeping your story and your narrative going where you want it to without making the play- players feel like they have to go through a certain set of, you know, gates in order to get there. It makes it feel more natural and more open-ended to them. Right. Um, and my third one, hmm, I would say, hmm, don't be afraid, um, don't, don't be afraid to say, to say yes to the things that your players come up with, but also don't be afraid to say no. Um, I think subscribing to the rule of cool is you know, a good way to kind of handle that if it's beneficial to the party, if it makes people interested, but it goes against the rules. Um, I think it's going to benefit the party more if it's fun and interesting than it is to be like, well, this is exactly what the rules say. So don't, don't be beholden to the rules. I would say it would be number three, you know, make a, make it make sense, but don't, don't use that as the end all be all. Yeah. I'd also say, make it your own. Try to put your own spin on it. It doesn't have to be what somebody else came up for you, or but it's it's okay to hodgepodge from everywhere else. But yeah, once you make it your own, it. yeah, it's it's easier to it's easier to get into it and and own it and live up to it um, if it's yours. Yeah. Um, what tips do you have for new players aside from what we've already kind of discussed with character creation? I think we'll, we'll get that answer, and then that probably will be a good stopping point i would say yeah i uh, I'll, I'll try to give i'll try to give three things here the biggest thing is remember that you're you're playing as a as a team and a party it's easy to get into the single player mentality and try to just bum rush everything and do it yourself remember that you have those those players to, to fall back on. Think about ways to use those other people. How can your abilities complement each other? Maybe like how Krista and I figured out that like she can be on my back and we're basically a, a, a medieval tank. <laughs> like there's, there's a way to, there's always going to be a way to cleverly interact with your party members and, and figure those things out. It's not necessarily, I'm going to attack this guy. She's going to attack that guy. He's going to attack that guy. And uh, that's it. Like tr- t- really challenge yourself and think outside the box. Yeah. You have fists, but you know, those don't just need to be for punching. You can grab, you can pull, you can push, you can trip, you can hide, you can, you can do all these different types of things. Don't just think, that because the situation presents itself as such that you're only um, handicapped to what you have. Um, you also have your team. And I think that's important to remember. Um, I mentioned it a ton of times, but I will say it again. 
really lean into your character traits and your personality traits. You can have an incredible character on paper, but if there's nothing special that makes them special and makes them unique, figure out what that is. And it doesn't have to be something complex. It doesn't have to be a dark, deep background that nobody knows about or ever will. Um, really think about how does this person talk? How do they interact? How do they, when they're in a room, do they lean up against the wall or do they take a seat at the bar? Do they sit down at the table? How do they walk? How do they act? How do they carry themselves? Are they hunched over from years of, of doing late manual labor or are they more upright from, you know, having a silver spoon in their mouth for their whole lives? There's, those will all play into who that person is because it's so much more than just the numbers on the paper and the things that you have in your per- on your person. Um, I think that's where the game really shines because then it's your job to in it, to to in um, present that to everybody in your in your performance. It's it's a performance, yeah, um, more than it is just participation in a game. Um, number three would be kind of similar to yours, but you know don't. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, Don't be afraid that the thing that you're coming up with, not everybody will might like it. Not everybody might not get it, but try to do your best to read the room. What is it that they don't like about it? What is it that they love about it? Um, I had a brief, broad idea of what I wanted Bugenhagen to be, but he didn't become Bugenhagen until... I'd say the fifth or sixth session where he had um, he had history to him. Now he had things that he had done that the party had seen and partake in people and partook in. And, it. <laughs> when you're trying yeah. to sneak the first, I think one of the first things someone said was, all right, who's covering Bugenhagen's mouth. Right. Like <laughs> that's that now, now he's a, now he's, a, he's a personality. Now he's a character. He's not right. just a, a, a character sheet for a D and D campaign. Yeah. Um, I think that is, you know, try different things out, like evolve with your character, grow with your character and change things about them. Don't like you said, don't just necessarily stick to the books, because like Wizards of the Coast says, it's they're just guidelines and they're just rules to abide by if you kind of feel like it. So don't be afraid to bend and break the rules. The DM will halt you if you do anything crazy. But worst they can um, do is say no. Yeah, the worst they can do is say no, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you screwed anything up. Be just be confident in in what you're making and try if it's your first time doing it, try doing it with something that you're very comfortable with and something that you really enjoy. I wouldn't push yourself out of that bounds because if you can embody it and you understand it, like I did with pro wrestling, um that changed everything for me gets you in the mind space that like you're familiar with it does and it builds your confidence so that now moving forward i'm much more comfortable with creating my own characters and not needing to research what makes a good character i think as long as it's yours it's special to you and that's all that matters right yep because at the end of the day, you're just going to put that character back into a folder until you pull it out again to play in another campaign or something other. But um, enjoy the time you have with them because you don't always get to play. Things happen and campaigns are short or campaigns could go too long and you might not ever finish them. But um, enjoy it while you have it and really embrace it. Yep. Wise words. Wise words. Yeah. 
so as we said at the top here, um, next week we'll be back usual time and place. Um, we're going to be, I think, pretty much primarily focusing on uh, Shadowkeep, uh, Destiny yep. 2. Um, yeah, so that'll be next week. Um, Andrew, why don't you uh, let the folks know where they can uh, find all of our past episodes and, and current information? Oh, well, that's easy. They could go to, we're streaming live right now on twitch.tv slash the games nat podcast. That's games and at podcast. Um, you can also check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash what's our YouTube channel? Uh, games nat. Is it games? Nat? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Just uh, search us on YouTube. You know, you know, the GNA podcast, the GNA podcast. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I should know this by now. This is what we did. So, all right. Um, no, it's not. And <laughs> uh, you can email us. You can email us at the GNA uh, podcast at gmail.com. That's the Golf November Alpha podcast at gmail.com. You can also check us out on Facebook where we used to stream. Um, we typically post links to the Twitch streams there. And uh, there's still a lot of our old archived episodes that yeah. weren't on stream or aren't on or weren't on Twitch or not on YouTube. So yeah, if so you want to check some of those we out, did not start off on iTunes. We we started we did not. Facebook Live, and I think like halfway through first season, we we jumped on to yeah. uh, onto iTunes. If you're uh, if you're an audio listener, you can listen to us on iTunes. If you are listening. We appreciate you. Please don't forget to try to leave us a rate and review. It really helps out the cause. What are we doing well? What are we doing poorly? What could we be doing better? We want to hear from you. Yeah. You can also catch us on any other audio podcast sites that I know of. Um, yeah. We're, uh, we're hosted on uh, reggieshousepodcast.com, uh, where you can find other excellent podcasts, such as the Rust Belt Risters, which is a pittsburgh penguin centric uh, hockey podcast which will be starting mm-hmm. up very soon here since the uh the season's, pre-season's over uh, getting into the regular season about to start um so they'll be firing up in full swing here shortly um you can also find greedo shot first a star wars podcast where they talk star wars all things star wars and everything freaking related to star wars you get that right Cole? and those guys those guys just did an excellent episode if uh anybody out there is into cinematography yes. did an episode that is basically a general blanket view of a lot of the famous shots in star wars movies and yeah. they brought on a buddy of ours brian duncan uh who uh, works in the film industry um and he actually gives some really 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 interesting input into uh the cinematography of the star wars movies mm-hmm. why that's important uh, what makes a shot good versus bad objectively. Um, it's very, very interesting, yeah, uh, especially when you get listening to that one. Yeah. Uh, especially when you get um, Andrew and Connor in there too, with their knowledge of star Wars and the movies and the lore, it's, it's very, very interesting. Yes. Highly recommend listening to that. Yeah. They're, uh, they're currently working their way through uh, an eight part series leading up to the uh, final uh movie in the in the new sequel trilogy um where they're basically going through and focusing on uh one movie at a time um just this week they went through um attack of the clones um two weeks ago they did uh revenge of the sith and i'm going to go out on a limb and say probably next week they'll have uh, a more normal uh topic-based episode just kind of mishmash type episode um where they cover a variety of topics and then the week following they'll be talking about um 
Revenge of the Sith, and I think that that's yep. the pattern they plan to follow on like a normal normal episode, and then a, um, a movie specific episode. So, give them a listen. Great guys, great podcast, super interesting. Yeah, uh, even if you're not that into Star Wars. Wars, yeah, they they might get you into Star Wars. So no. But at the end of the day, uh, whether you're a DM or a player in a campaign, Brandon, what do we tell everybody? We tell them that, uh, you know, we're not professionals in this field. We're just your average Joes. Um, (laughs) Emphasis on the average (laughs) and maybe the Joe. Take the things we say with a grain of salt. You know, we're not pro gamers. We're not uh, super seasoned D&D players. We, We like what we do and we have fun with it. And, you know, at the end of the day, the only opinion that matters is your own. We'll see you next week.